Volume Three, Chapter One of Vixen, Part Two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Candace Delic, Dallas, Texas. Vixen by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. Volume Three, Chapter One, Part Two. Going into Exile. An hour or so, and Jersey was in sight. All rocky peaks and promontories anon the steamer swept round a sudden curve and lo vixen beheld a bristling range of fortifications a rather untidy harbour and the usual accompaniments of a landing place the midsummer sun shining vividly upon all pervading whiteness is this the bay that some people have compared to naples violet asked her conductor with a contemptuous curl of her mobile lip as she and captain winstanley took their seats in a roomy old fly upon which the luggage was being piled in the usual mountainous and insecure-looking style you have not seen it yet from the neapolitan point of view said the captain this quay is not the prettiest bit of jersey i am glad of that very glad answered vixen acidly for if it were the jersey notion of the beautiful would be my idea of ugliness oh what an utterly too horrid street she cried as the fly drove through the squalid approach to the town past dirty gutter-bred children and women with babies who looked to the last degree irish in the dead high wall of the fortifications does your aunt live hereabouts par exemple captain winstanley my aunt lives six good miles from here miss tempest in one of the loveliest spots in the island amidst scenery that is almost as fine as the pyrenees i have heard people say that of anything respectable in the shape of a hill answered vixen with a dubious air she was in a humour to take objection to everything and had a flippant air curiously at variance with the dull aching of her heart she was determined to take the situation lightly not for worlds would she have let captain winstanley see her wounds or guess how deep they were she set her face steadily towards the hills in which her place of exile was hidden and bore herself bravely conrad winstanley gave her a many furtive glance as he sat opposite her in the fly while they drove slowly up the steep green country lanes leaving the white town in the valley below them this place is not so bad after all said vixen looking back at the conglomeration of white walls and slate roofs of docks and shipping and barracks on the edge of a world of blue water not nearly so odious as it looked when we landed but it is a little disappointing at best like all places that people praise ridiculously i had pictured jersey as a tropical island with cactuses and cape jasmine growing in the hedges orchards of peaches and apricots and melons running wild to my mind the island is a pocket edition of devonshire with a dash of brittany answered the captain there's a fig tree for you he cried pointing to a great spreading mass of five-fingered leaves lolloping over a pink plastered garden wall an old untidy tree that had swallowed up the whole extent of a cottager's garden you don't see anything like that in the forest no answered vixen tightening her lips we have only oaks and beeches that have been growing since the heptarchy and now they entered a long lane where the interlaced treetops made an arcade of foliage a lane whose beauty even vixen could not gainsay ah there were the hampshire ferns on the steep green banks she gave a little choking sob at sight of them as if they had been living things 
Hart's tongue and Lady Fern, and the whole family of Osmundas. Yes, they were all there. It was like home, with a difference. Here and there they passed a modern villa in its park-like grounds, and the captain, who evidently wished to be pleasant, tried to expound to Violet the conditions of Jersey leases and the difficulties which attend the purchase of land or tenements in that feudal settlement but vixen did not even endeavor to understand him she listened with an air of polite vacancy which was not encouraging they passed various humbler homesteads painted a lively pink or a refreshing lavender with gardens where the fuchsias were trees covered with crimson bloom and where gigantic hydrangeas bloomed in palest pink and brightest azure in wildest abundance here vixen beheld for the first time those preposterous cabbages from whose hypernatural growth the islanders seemed to derive a loftier pride than from any other productions of the island not excepting its grapes and its lobsters. "'I don't suppose you ever saw cabbages growing six feet high before,' said the captain. "'No,' answered Vixen. "'They are too preposterous to be met within a civilized country. Poor Charles the Second! I don't wonder that he was wild and riotous when he came to be king. Why not?' because he had spent several months of exile among his loyal subjects in jersey a man who had been buried alive in such a fragmentary bit of the world must have required some compensation in after life they had mounted a long hill which seemed the pinnacle of the island and from whose fertile summit the view was full of beauty a green undulating garden world ringed with yellow sands and bright blue sea and now they began to descend gently by a winding lane where again the topmost elm branches were interwoven and where the glowing june day was softened to a tender twilight a curve in the lane brought them suddenly to an old gateway with a crumbling stone bench in a nook beside it a bench where the wayfarer used to sit and wait for alms when the site of les tourelles was occupied by a monastery the old manor house rose up behind the debilitated wall a goodly old house as to size and form overlooking a noble sweep of hillside and valley a house with a gallery on the roof for purposes of observation but with as dreary and abandoned a look about its blank curtainless windows as if mansion and estate had been in chancery for the last half century a fine old place is it not asked the captain while a cracked bell was jingling in remote distance amidst the drowsy summer stillness without eliciting so much as the bark of a house dog it looks very big violet answered dubiously and very empty my aunt has no relatives residing with her if she had started in life with a large family of brothers and sisters i should think they would all be dead by this time said the girl with a stifled yawn that was half a sigh how do you mean they would have died of the stillness and solitude and all-pervading desolation of les tourelles strange houses are apt to look desolate yes particularly when the windows have neither blinds nor curtains and the walls have not been painted for a century after this conversation flagged the jingling bell was once more set going in the unknown distance vixen sat looking sleepily at the arched roof of foliage checkered with the blue sky argus lolled against the carriage door with his tongue out they waited five minutes or so languidly expectant 
vixen began to wonder whether the gates would ever open whether they were really any living human creatures in that blank dead-looking house whether they would not have to give up all idea of entering and drive back to the harbour and return to hampshire by the way they had come while she sat idly wondering thus with the sleepy buzz of summer insects and melodious twittering of birds soothing her senses like a lullaby the old gate groaned upon its rusty hinges and a middle-aged woman in a black gown and a white cap appeared a female who recognized captain winstanley with a curtsey and came out to receive the smaller packages from the flyman antony will take the portmanteau she said the boat must have come in earlier than usual we did not expect you so soon this is one of miss skipwith's servants thought vixen rather a finagery personage i hope the other maids are nicer the person spoken of as antony now appeared and began to hail about violet's portmanteau he was a middle-aged man with a bald head and a melancholy aspect his remont was shabby his costume something between that of a lawyer's clerk and an agricultural laborer argus saluted this individual with a suppressed growl sh cried the female vindictively flapping her apron at the dog whose dog is this sir he doesn't belong to you surely he belongs to miss tempest you must find a corner for him somewhere in the outbuildings hannah said the captain the dog is harmless enough and friendly enough when he is used to people that won't be much good if he bites us before he gets used to us and we die of hydrophobia in the meantime retorted hannah i believe he has taken a dislike to antony already argus won't bite anyone said vixen laying her hand upon the dog's collar i'll answer for his good conduct please try and find him a nice snug nest somewhere if i mustn't have him in the house in the house cried hannah miss skipwith would faint at the mention of such a thing i don't know how she'll ever put up with a huge beast like that anywhere about the place he must be kept as much out of her sight as possible i'm sorry argus isn't welcome said vixen proudly she was thinking that her own welcome at les tourelles could hardly be more cordial than that accorded to argus she had left home because nobody wanted her there how could she expect that any one wanted her here where she was a stranger preceded perhaps by the reputation of her vices the woman in the rusty morning gown the man in the shabby raiment and cold clawed hopper boots gave her no smile of greeting over this new home of hers there hung an unspeakable melancholy her heart sank as she crossed the threshold oh what a neglected poverty-stricken air in the garden had after the garden's violet tempest had been accustomed to look upon ragged trees rank grass empty flower-beds weeds in abundance a narrow paved colonnade ran along one side of the house they went by this paved way to a dingy little door not the hall door that was never opened and entered the house by a lobby which opened into a small parlor dark and shabby with one window looking into a courtyard there were a good many books upon the green baize table cover pious books mostly vixen saw with a strange revulsion of feeling as if that were the culmination of her misery there was an old-fashioned work-table with a faded red silk well beside the open window 
a spectacle case on the work-table and an armchair before it indicated that the room had been lately occupied it was altogether one of the shabbiest rooms vixen had ever seen the furniture belonging to the most odious period of cabinet-making the carpet unutterably dingy the walls mildewed and mouldy the sole decorations some pale engravings of naval battles which might be the victories or defeats of any maritime hero from drake to nelson come and see the house said the captain reading the disgust in his stepdaughter's pale face he opened a door leading into the hall a large and lofty apartment with a fine old staircase ascending to a square gallery the heavy oak balusters had been painted white so had the paneling in the hall time had converted both to a dusky gray some rusty odds of ends of armor and a few dingy family portraits decorated the walls but of furniture there was not a vestige opening out of the hall there was a large long room with four windows looking into a small wilderness that had once been a garden and commanding a fine view of land and sea this the captain called the drawing-room it was sparsely furnished with a spindle-legged table half a dozen armchairs covered with faded tapestry an antique walnut wood cabinet another of ebony a small oasis of carpet in the middle of the bare oak floor this and the parlor you have seen are all the sitting-rooms my aunt occupies said captain winstanley the rest of the rooms on this floor are empty or only used for storehouses it is a fine old house i believe the finest in the island is there a history hanging to it asked vixen looking drearily round the spacious desolate chamber has it been used as a prison or a madhouse or what i never saw a house that filled me with such nameless horrors you are fanciful said the captain the house has no story except the common history of fallen fortunes it has been in the skipwith family ever since it was built they were leicestershire people and came to jersey after the civil war came here to be near their prince in his exile settled here and built les tourelles i believe they expected charles would do something handsome for them when he came into his town but he didn't do anything sir john skipwith stayed in the island and became a large landowner and died at an advanced age there is nothing to kill people here you see and the skipwiths have been jersey people ever since they were once the richest family in the island they are now one of the poorest when i say they i mean my aunt she is the last of her race the skipwiths have crystallized into one maiden lady my mother's only sister then your mother was a skipwith asked violet yes and she was born and brought up here yes she never left jersey till my father married her he was here with his regiment when they met at the governor's ball oh here is my aunt said the captain and a rustling of silk sounded in the empty hall vixen drew herself up stiffly as if preparing to meet a foe she had made up her mind to detest miss skipwith the lady of the manor entered she shook hands with her nephew and presented him with a pale and shrivelled cheek which he respectfully saluted she was an elderly and faded person very tall and painfully thin but aristocratic to the highest degree there was the indication of race in her aquiline nose high narrow brow and neatly cut chin her tapering hand and small slender foot she was dressed in black silk rustier and older than any silk vixen had ever seen before 
not even expecting mrs scobel's black silk dresses when they had been degraded from their original rank to the scrubbery of early services and daily wear her thin gray hair was shaded by a black lace cap decorated with bugles and black weedy grasses she wore black mittens and jet jewelry and was altogether as deeply sable as if she had been in mourning for the whole of the skipworth race she received miss tempest with a formal politeness which was not encouraging i hope you will be able to make yourself happy here she said and that you have resources within yourself that will suffice for the employment of your time and thoughts i receive no company and i never go out the class of people who now occupy the island are a class with which i should not care to associate and which i dare say would not appreciate me i have my own resources and my life is fully employed my only complaint is that the days are not long enough a quiet existence like mine offers vast opportunities for culture and self-improvement i hope you will take advantage of them miss tempest poor violet faltered something vaguely civil looking sorely bewildered all the time miss skipwith's speech sounded so like the address of a schoolmistress that vixen began to think she had been trapped unawares in a school as people are sometimes trapped in a madhouse i don't think miss tempest is given much to study said the captain graciously as if he and violet were on the friendliest terms but she is very fond of the country and i am sure the scenery of jersey will delight her by the way we ventured to bring her big dog he will be a companion and protector for her in her walks i have asked daughtery to find him a kennel somewhere among your capacious outbuildings he must not come into the house said miss skipwith grimly i couldn't have a dog inside my doors i have a persian that has been my attached companion for the last ten years what would that dear creature's feelings be if he saw himself exposed to the attacks of a savage dog my dog is not savage to persians or anyone else cried vixen wondering what inauspicious star had led the footsteps of an oriental wonder to so dreary a refuge as les tourelles you would like to see your bedroom perhaps suggested miss skipwith and on violet's assenting she was handed over to hannah daughtery the woman who had opened the gate hannah led the way up the broad old staircase all bare and carpetless and opened one of the doors in the gallery the room into which she ushered violet was large and airy with windows commanding the far garden-like island and the wide blue sea but there was the same bare poverty-stricken look in this room as in every other part of the manor house the bed was a tall melancholy four-poster with scantiest draperies and faded drab damask save for one little islet of threadbare brussels beside the bed the room was carpetless there was an ancient wainscot wardrobe with brass handles there was a modern deal dressing-table skimply draped with muslin and surmounted by the smallest of looking-glasses there were a couple of chairs and a three-cornered wash-hand stand there was neither sofa nor writing-table there was not an ornament on the high wooden mantel-shelf or a picture on the panelled walls vixen shivered as she surveyed the big barren room i think you will find everything comfortable said miss daughtery with a formal air which seemed to say and whether you do or do not matters nothing to me thank you yes i dare say it is all right 
vixen answered absently standing at one of the windows gazing out over the green hills and valleys to the fair summer sea and wondering whether she would be able to take comfort from the fertile beauty of the island the bed has been well aired continued mrs daughtry and i can answer for the cleanliness of everything thanks will you kindly send one of the maids to help me unpack my portmanteau i can assist you mrs daughtry answered we have no maid-servant my husband and i are able to do all that miss skipwith requires she is a lady who gives so little trouble do you mean to say there are no other servants in this great house no housemaids no cooks i have cooked for miss skipwith for the last thirty years the house is large but there are very few rooms in occupation i ought to have brought my maid cried vixen it will be quite dreadful i don't want much waiting upon but still i'm afraid i shall give some trouble until i learn to do everything for myself just as if i were cast on a desert island she said to herself in conclusion and then she thought of helen rolleston the petted beauty in charles's reed's foul play cast with her faithful lover on an unknown island on the fair southern sea but in this island of jersey there was no faithful lover to give romance and interest to the situation there was nothing but dull dreary reality i dare say i shall be able to do all you require without feeling it any extra trouble unless you are very helpless said mrs daughtry who was on her knees unstrapping one of the portmanteau i am not helpless replied vixen though i dare say i have been waited on much more than was good for me and then she knelt down before the other portmanteau and undid the buckles of the thick leather straps in which operation she broke more than one of her nails and wounded her rosy finger-tips oh dear what a useless creature i am she thought and why do people strap portmanteaus so tightly never mind after a month's residence at les tourelles i shall be a spartan would you like me to unpack your trunks for you inquired mrs daughtry with an accent which sounded slightly ironical oh no thanks i can get on very well now answered vixen quickly whereupon the housekeeper opened the drawers and cupboards in the big wainscot wardrobe and left miss tempest to her own devices the shelves and drawers were neatly lined with white paper and strewed with dried lavender this was luxury which vixen had not expected she laid her pretty dresses on the shelves smiling scornfully as she looked at them of what use could pretty dresses be in a desert island and here were her riding habit and her collection of whips unless lumber where there was no hope of a horse she was obliged to put her books in the wardrobe as there was no other place for them her desk and workbook she was fain to place on the floor for the small dressing-table would accommodate no more than her dressing-case devotional books brushes and combs pomatum pots and pen-boxes oh dear she sighed i have a great deal too much property for a desert island i wonder whether in some odd corner of les tourelles i could find such a thing as a spare table when she had finished her unpacking she went down to the hall not seeing anyone about and desiring rather to avoid captain winstanley and his aunt than to rejoin them she wandered out of the hall into one of the many passages of the old manor house and began a voyage of discovery on her own account if they ask me what i have been doing i can say i lost myself 
she thought she found the most curious rooms or rather rooms that had once been stately and handsome now applied to the most curious purposes a dining hall with carved stone chimney piece and painted ceiling used as a storehouse for apples another fine apartment in which a heap of potatoes reposed snugly in a corner packed in straw there was a spacious kitchen with a fireplace as large as a moderate-sized room a kitchen that had been abandoned altogether to spiders beetles rats and mice a whole army of four-footed vermin scampered off as vixen crossed the threshold she could see them scuttling and scurrying along by the wall with a whisking of slender tails as they vanished into their holes the beetles were disporting themselves on the desolate hearth the spiders had woven draperies for the dim dirty windows the rustling leaves of a fig tree that had grown close to the side of the house flapped against the window panes with a noise of exceeding ghostliness from the kitchen vixen wandered to the outhouses and found argus howling dismally in a grass-grown courtyard evidently believing himself abandoned by the world his rapture at beholding his mistress was boundless you darling i would give the world to let you loose cried vixen after she had been nearly knocked down by the dog's affectionate greeting but i mustn't just yet i'll come by and by and take you for a walk yes dear old boy we'll have a long ramble together just as we used to do at home home now she had left it seemed so sweet a word that her lips trembled a little as she pronounced it everything without the house was as dreary as it was within poverty had set its mark on all things like a blight decay was visible everywhere in the woodwork in the stonework in hinges and handles thresholds and lintels ceilings and plastered walls it would have cost a thousand pounds to put the manor house in decent habitable order to have restored it to its original dignity and comeliness would have cost at least five thousand miss skipwith could afford to spend nothing upon the house she lived in indeed she could barely afford the necessaries of life so for the last thirty years les Tourelles had been gradually decaying until the good old house had arrived at a stage in which decay could hardly go farther without lasping into destruction a door opened out of the courtyard into the weedy garden this was not without a kind of beauty that had survived long neglect the spreading fig trees the bushes of bright red fuchsia and the unpruned roses made a fertile wilderness of flowers and foliage there was a terrace in front of the drawing-room windows and from this a flight of crumbling moss-ground stone steps led down to the garden which was on the slope of the hill and lay considerably below the level of the house while vixen was preambulating the garden a bell rang in coppola on the roof and as this sounded like the summons to a meal she felt that politeness if not appetite demanded her return to the house three o'clock she said looking at her watch what a late hour for luncheon she made her way back to the small side door at which she had entered with captain withstanley and went into the parlor where she found the captain and his aunt the table was laid but they had not seated themselves i hope i have not kept you waiting vixen said apologetically my aunt has been waiting five minutes or so but i'm sure she will forgive you as you don't yet know the ways of the house replied the captain amiably we have early habits at les tourelles miss tempest said the lady of the manor we breakfast at half-past seven and dine at three the arrangement gives me a long morning for study 
at six we drink tea and if you care for supper it can be served for you on a tray at half past nine the house is shut and all lamps put out at ten as regularly as on board ship said the captain i know the customs of the manor of old you have never favored me with a long visit conrad remarked miss skipwith reproachfully my life has been too busy for making long visits anywhere my dear aunt they took their places at the small square table and miss skipwith said grace antony doddery was in attendance clad in rusty black and looking as like a butler as a man who cleaned windows scrubbed floors and hewed wood could be fairly expected to look he removed the cover of a modest dish of fish with a grand air and performed all the services of the table with as much dignity as if he had never been anything less than a butler he poured out a glass of ale for the captain and a glass of water for his mistress miss skipwith seemed relieved when violet said she preferred water to ale and did not particularly care about wine i used to drink wine at home very often just because it was put in my glass but i like water quite as well said vixen after the fish there came a small joint of lamb and a couple of dishes of vegetables then a small custard pudding and some cheese cut up in very minute pieces in a glass dish some raw garden stuff which doddery called salad and three of last year's pears in an old derby dessert dish the dinner could hardly have been smaller but it was eminently genteel the conversation was entirely between captain winstanley and his aunt vixen sat and listened wonderingly save at odd times when her thoughts strayed back to the old life which she had done with forever you still continue your literary labors i suppose aunt said the captain they are the chief object of my existence when i abandon them i shall have done with life replied miss skipwith gravely but you have not yet published your book no i hope when i do that even you will hear of it i have no doubt it will make a sensation if it does not i have lived and labored in vain but my book may make a sensation and yet fall short of the result which i have toiled and hoped for and that is the establishment of a universal religion that is a large idea would a small idea be worth the devotion of a life for thirty years i have devoted myself to this one scheme i have striven to focus all the creeds of mankind in one brilliant centre eliminating all that is base and superstitious in each several religion crystallizing all that is good and true the buddhist the brahmin the mohammedan the sun worshipper the romanist the calvinist the lutheran the wesleyan the swedenborgian each and all will find the best and noblest characteristics of his faith resolved and concerted in my universal religion here all creeds will meet gentler and wiser than the theology of buddha more humanitarian than the laws of brahma more temperate than the muslim's code of morality with a wider grasp of power than the romanist authoritative church severely self-denying as calvin ascetic rule simple and pious as wesley's scheme of man's redemption spiritual as swedenborg's vast idea of heaven my faith will open its arms wide enough to embrace all there need be no more dissent the mighty circle of my free church will enclose all creeds and all divisions of man and spread from the northern hemisphere to the southern seas heathenism shall perish before it 
the limited view of christianity which missionaries have hereto offered to thee he then may fail but my universal church will open its doors to all the world and mark my words conrad all the world will enter in i may not live to see the day my span of life has not long to run but that day will come no doubt replied captain winstanley gravely there is a slovenlessness, so to speak, about the present arrangement of things, and a great deal of useless expense. Every small town with its half a dozen churches and chapels of different denominations, Episcopalians, Wesleyans, Baptists, Roman Catholics, Primitive Methodists, now on your plan, one large building would do for all, like the town hall or the general post office. There would be a wonderful economy. I fear you contemplate the question from an entirely temporal point of view, said Miss Skimpwith, flattered but yet reproachful. It is its spiritual aspect that is grandest, naturally, but a man of the world is apt to consider the practicability of a scheme, and yours seems to me immensely practical. If you can only get the Mohammedans and the Brahmins to come in, the roman catholics might of course be easily won though it would involve doing away with the pope there was a prophecy by the way that after the ninth pious there would be only eleven more popes no doubt the prophecy pointed at your universal religion but i fear you may have some difficulty about the buddhists i fancy they are rare in bigoted sect the greatest bigots have but to be convinced said miss Gipwith st paul was a bigot true is your book nearly finished no there are still some years of labor before me i am now working at the swedenborgian portion striving to demonstrate how that great man's scheme of religion though commonly supposed to be a new and original emanation of one mind is in reality a reproduction of spiritual views involved in other and older religions the buddhists were swedenborgians without knowing it just as swedenborg unconsciously was a buddhist i begin to understand the process which you are engaged in is a kind of spiritual chemistry in which you resolve each particular faith into its primary elements with a view to prove that those elements are actually the same in all creeds and that the differences which heretofore have kept mankind apart and mere divergencies of detail that crudely and perfectly stated is my aim replied miss skipwith graciously this kind of conversation continued all through dinner miss skipwith talked of buddha and confucius and mahomet and zuinglaeus and calvin and luther as familiarity as if they had been her most intimate friends and the captain led her on and played her as he would have played a trout in one of the winding hampshire streams his gravity was imperturbable vixen sat and wondered whether she was to hear this kind of thing every day of her life and whether she would be expected to ask miss skipwith leading questions as the captain was doing it was all very well for him who was to spend only one day at les tourelles but vixen made up her mind that she would boldly avow her indifference to all creeds and all theologians from confucius to swedenborg she might consent to live for a time amidst the dullness and desolation of les tourelles but she would not be weighed down and crushed by miss skipwith's appalling hobby 
the mere idea of the horror of having every day to discuss a subject that was in its very nature inexhaustible filled her with terror i would sooner take my meals in that abandoned kitchen in the company of the rats and beetles than have to listen every day to this kind of thing she thought when dinner was over the captain went off to smoke his cigar in the garden and this vixen thought a good time for making her escape i should like to take a walk with my dog if you will excuse me miss skipwith she said politely my dear you must consider yourself at liberty to employ and amuse yourself as you please of course always keeping strictly within the bounds of propriety solemnly replied the lady of the manor i shall not interfere with your freedom my own studies are of so grave a nature that they in a measure isolate me from my fellow-creatures but when you require and ask for sympathy and advice i shall be ready to give both my library is at your service and i hope ere long you will have found yourself some serious aim for your studies life without purpose is a life hardly worth living if girls of your age could only find that out and seek their vocation early how much grander and nobler would be woman's place in the universe but alas my dear the common aim of girlhood seems to be to look pretty and to get married i have made up my mind never to marry said violet with a smile that was half sad half cynical so there at least you may approve of me miss skipwith my nephew tells me that you refused an excellent offer from an irish peer i would not have done the irish peer so great a wrong as to have married him without loving him i admire your honorable feeling said miss skipwith with solemn approval i too might have married but the man towards whom my heart most inclined was a man of no family i could not marry a man without family i am weak enough to be prouder of my pedigree than other women are of beauty and fortune i am the last of the skipwiths and i have done nothing to degrade my race the family name and the family pride will die with me there was a time when a skipwith owned a third of the island our estate has dwindled to the garden and meadows that surround this old house our family has shrunk into one old woman but if i can make the name of skipwith famous before i go down to my grave i shall not have lived and labored in vain vixen felt a thrill of pity as she listened to this brief confession of a self-deluded solitary soul which had built its house upon sand and hopefully as if the foundations were solidest rock the line of demarcation between such fantasism in miss Kipwis and the hallucination of an old lady in bedlam whose fancies herself queen victoria seemed to vixen but a hair's breadth but after all if the old lady and miss Kipwith were both happy in their harmless self-deceptions why should one pity them the creature to be pitied is the man or woman who keenly sees and feels the hard realities of life and cannot take pleasure in phantoms vixen ran off to her room to get her hat and gloves delighted to find herself free miss skipwith was not such a very bad sort of person after all perhaps liberty to roam about the island with her dog vixen esteemed a great boon she would be able to think about her troubles unmolested by inquisitive looks or unwelcome sympathy she went down to the courtyard untied the faithful argus and they set out together to explore the unknown the dog in such wild spirits 
that it was almost impossible for vixen to be sad the afternoon sun was shining in all his glory birds were singing flickering lights and shadows playing on the grassy banks argus scampered up and down the lanes and burst tumultuously through the gaps in the hedges like a dog possessed of demons it was a pretty little island after all vixen was fain to admit as much there was some justification for the people who sang its praises with such enthusiasm one might have fancied it a fertile corner of devonshire that had slipped its moorings and drifted westward on a summer sea if i had arian here and rory i think i could be almost happy vixen said to herself with a dreamy smile and rory alas poor child faintly feebly steadfast in the barren path of honor where could she not have been happy with the companion of her childhood the one only love of her youth was there ever a spot of land or sea from hudson's bay to the unmapped archipelago or hypothetical continent of the southern pole where she could not have been company with roderick vaudrey she thought again of helen rolleston and her lover on the south sea island ah what a happy fate was that of the consumptive heroine alone protected cherished and saved from death by her devoted lover poor rory she knew how well she loved him now that the wide sea rolled between them now that she had said him nay denied her love and parted from him for ever she thought of that scene in the pine wood dimly lit by the young moon she lived again those marvellous moments the concentrated bliss of pain of a lifetime she felt again the strong grasp of his hands his breath upon her cheek as he bent over her shoulder again she heard him pleading for the lifelong union her soul desired at the most exquisite happiness life could give i have not loved thee dear so well love i not honour more those two familiar lines flashed into her mind as she thought of her lover to have degraded herself to have dishonored him no it would have been too dreadful were he to plead again she must answer again as she had answered before his mother despised me she thought if people in a better world are really au contraire as to the affairs of this i should like lady jane vaudrey to know that i am not utterly without the instincts of a gentlewoman she wandered on following the winding of the lanes careless where she went and determined to take advantage of her liberty she met few people and of those she did not trouble herself to ask her way if i lose myself on my desert island it can't be much matter she thought there is no one to be anxious about me miss skipwith will be deep in her universal creed and captain winstanley would be very glad for me to be lost my death would leave him master for life of the abbey house and all belonging to it she roamed on till she came to the open seashore a pretty little harbor surrounded with quaint-looking houses two or three white villas and fertile gardens on a raised road and dominating all the scene a fine old feudal castle with keep battlements drawbridge portcullis and all that becomes a fortress this was mount Arguel, the castle in which charles stuart spent a short period of his life while cromwell was ruling by land and sea and kingly hopes were at their lowest ebb 
the good old fortress had suffered for its loyalty for the parliament sent admiral blake with a fleet to reduce the rebellious island to submission and mount origuel had not been strong enough to hold out against its assailants violent won't up to the sloping path that led to the grim old gateway under the gloomy arc and still upward till she came to a sunny battlemented wall above the shining sea the prospect was more than worth the trouble yonder in the dim distance were the towers of countenance cathedral far away mere spots in the blue water where the smaller fry of the channel islands below her the yellow sands were smiling in the sun the placid wavelets reflecting all the color and glory of the changeful sky this would not be a bad place to live in argus if she paused with her arm round her dog's neck as she stood on end looking over the parapet with a deep interest in possible rats or rabbits lurking in some cavity of the craggy cliff below if ah what a big if that was if meant love and dear familiar companionship it meant all vixen's little world she lingered long the scene was beautiful and there was nothing to lure her home then at last feeling that she was treating poor miss skipwith badly and that her prolonged absence might give alarm in that dreary household she retracted her steps and at the foot of the craggy mount asked the nearest way to les tourelles the nearest way was altogether different from the track by which she had come and brought her back to the old monastic gate in a little more than an hour she opened the gate and went in there was nothing for the most burglarious invader to steal at Le Travel, and bolts and locks were rarely used. Miss Skipwith was reading in her parlor, a white Persian cat, dozing on a cushioned armchair beside her, some cups and saucers and a black teapot on a tray before her, and the rest of the table piled with books. There was no sign of Captain Winstanley. I'm afraid I'm rather late, Vixen said apologetically. She felt a kind of half-pitying respect for Miss Skipwith as a harmless lunatic my dear i dare say that as an absolute fact you are late answered the lady of the manor without looking up from her book but as time is never too long for me i have been hardly conscious of the delay your stepfather has gone down to the club at st hilaire's to see some of his old acquaintances perhaps you would like a cup of tea vixen replied that she would very much like some tea whereupon miss skipwith poured out a weak and tepid infusion against which the girl inwardly protested if i am to exist at les tourelles i must at least have decent tea she said to herself i must buy an occasional pound for my own consumption make friends with mrs daughtery and get her to brew it for me and then vixen knelt down by the armchair and tried to get upon intimate terms with the persian he was a serious-minded animal and seemed inclined to resent her advances so she left him in peace on his patchwork cushion and relic on those earlier days when miss skipwith had squandered her precious hours on the feminine ionity of needlework vixen thought of the german volkslide as she looked at the old lady in the black cap bending over a ponderous volume with the solemn visage cat coiled on the chair beside her minevera's vogel war un cause the persian cat seemed as much an attribute of the female theologian as the bird of the goddess vixen went to her room soon after dark and thus avoided the captain who did not return till ten 
she was worn out with the fatigue of the voyage her long ramble the painful thoughts of manifold agitations of the last two days she set her candle on the dressing-table and looked round the bare empty room feeling as if she were in a dream it was all strange and unhomely and comfortless like one of those wild dream pictures which seem so appealingly real in their hideous unreality and i am to live here indefinitely for the next six years perhaps until i come of age and am my own mistress it is too dreadful she went to bed and slept a deep and comforting sleep for very weariness and she dreamt that she was walking on the battlements of mount aurel in the drowsy afternoon sunlight with charles stuart and the face of royal exile was the face of roderick vaudrey and the hand that held hers as they two stood side by side in the sunshine was the broad strong hand of her girlhood's friend when she went downstairs between eight and nine next morning she found miss skipwith pacing slowly to and fro the terrace in front of the drawing-room windows conning over the pencil notes of her yesterday's studies your stepfather has been gone half an hour my dear said the lady of the manor he was very sorry to have to go without wishing you good-bye end of volume three chapter one part two recording by candace dalek dallas texas